Good to be here with you this morning and to be uh, ministering alongside with Rob, someone whom I respect uh, greatly, who I know God is using to further his kingdom. And I'm delighted for the invitation to join you here. I drove by Apple Valley High School, which is where I graduated from high school. I don't think I've driven by it in over a decade. And uh, I just confessed my sins one more time. And I uh, just kept on driving right by over to you and was so excited. So, um, uh, I, a few years ago, just to set the tone for a few of the stories I want to share, when I was in seminary, when I was uh, 28 years old, uh, I felt called to walk across the United States. Uh, and, and I did. I walked from Washington State to Miami, Florida, 4,200 miles, 14 states, 11 pairs of shoes, and tons of other great details. But I did this for a primary reason. I felt God had told me that if I didn't know how to be with him, I had no business doing for him. And I realized it was really easy to learn how to do Christian things, but really hard to learn how to be with Jesus, especially in our overly distracted world. So I set off with no cell phone, no computer, no nothing, to walk about 20 miles a day to see if I could learn how to listen to where God was at work and join him in that process. When I got to Montana, a car pulled over on the side of the road. An older gentleman with all gold teeth pulled up, and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm walking across America. And he said, are you crazy? I said, no, I'm a Christian, but lots of people think it's the same thing. And, uh, and, and we laughed together, and he said to me that God sent someone to his ranch once. I'm like, he did? I said, how did you know it was God? He said, well, just changed my entire way of thinking about stuff. He said, I didn't become a Christian until I already had gray hair later in life, he said. And I, and I was a cattle rancher, and so I was all rough around the edges. And, and God sent someone to my ranch and invited me to know Jesus, and it, it really altered the whole way I did life. He goes, listen to this. He said, one day I heard that there was a storm coming, and I, I went out and took my ATV back out out onto the back 40, uh, they don't even really have a back 40, out into the open range, they don't fence in their cattle in a lot of Montana, they're open range cattle, and he's, I went out there because there was a storm coming, and when there's a storm coming, oftentimes your cattle can stampede, and they get hurt, and they get run, and they run away, so I went out there to see what I could do to, to, to mediate this problem, he said, one of the things you do is you get the cattle moving in a circle, because they're really dumb, and so if you get them circling, they forget and, and what, what they're being uh, about to be assaulted by, and sometimes they won't stampede, he said, so I got my cattle going in a circle. All of them, all thousand head, were working in a circle. We're all out there trying to get them going in a circle. He said, but they're still edgy. I didn't know what to do. He said, no, I was a, a very new believer. And he said, I didn't know what you could pray for and what you can't pray for. So I just asked the spirit of God to come and rest my cattle. He said, I didn't know if you could pray for that. But I tell you the truth. I watched the spirit of God start at one end of my herd of cattle and move across it in a physical, tangible way until every one of them stood there completely still until the storm passed. I thought, I want that. I want the Spirit of God to move in a physical, tangible way. I, I want to see the Holy Spirit move in a way that I- is undeniable that it's at work. Not a sneaky sort of way, although that's great too, but in this, this really public, visible way. The breath of God moving. The Spirit of God moving so that it actually affects real lives. There's a, there's a story of, about how this works in the scriptures. It's a, a story that's a long time been dear to my heart. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 37. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. It's also going to be on the screen behind me in just a minute. The story in Ezekiel 37 is often called the Valley of Dry Bones. Ezekiel is a prophet, a person speaking for God, and uh, Ezekiel's living during a time where the people of God have been struggling. In fact, in, in chapter 33, it says they've been, or 36, it says they've been hounded and ravaged. Some of you feel that way. They've been deserted and lay in ruins. Some of you feel that way. They have been plundered and ridiculed, and some of your neighbors probably feel that way too. 
The people of God are feeling a bit hopeless and they're living a bit lifeless. And God comes to Ezekiel at this time and speaks a vision to him. This is how it begins. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord. And he set me in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. As far as Ezekiel can see is just whitewashed skeletons. Just bones laying there. People just like himself, but identities unknown. You cannot reassemble them. They have been lost for life. This valley is void of life and breath and spirit. It's a place of dry bones, God says. And, and, and I, I can feel like that sometimes. Like there's just so much in the world that as far as I can see, things seem pretty lifeless and scattered and hopeless. I mean, I can get my own life together, but there's just a whole lot of skeletons out there that I'm in view of on a day-to-day basis. And it can be really overwhelming environmental disasters and and the war in Syria and and the amount of people orphaned by AIDS and tsunamis and destitution and rape and pillage. And I can look out at at the news and at my life and think it is full of bones. And even closer to home, there are marriages even maybe in this room that are void of spirit. That's the truth. There are doctor's appointments that will take the breath right out of you. Uh, There are bank accounts that are very, very dry. And it's easy when you look out across the valley to start feeling like it might be hopeless or pointless or or, or that God wants to accomplish as an an impossibility. Like maybe he did it once, but I mean, at this point, we're just going to have to get by and get through. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and he set me in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. When the hand of the Lord is upon you, he will set you in places like this. When the hand of the Lord Lord is upon you, he intentionally, I believe, sets you in the middle of valleys of dry bones to walk back and forth among them. Several years ago, I was speaking in a, a, at an auditorium, about 7,000 people, and, and I was team preaching with someone, which is really hard, because it means you both have to be humble, let the other person say what you wanted to say, and, and you're afraid they're going to screw it up, and they're afraid you're going to screw it up. And, and so we were in the green room right before we were going to speak, myself and this other gentleman, and we were going to speak about healing that night. Oh, it's so hard to speak about healing, because God does heal, but sometimes he doesn't. And how do you do that in a way that doesn't hurt people, you know? So we were about an hour before we were going to speak, and we were rewriting our notes slashing and burning some things that we thought had been revealed the day before but we thought this is not right and so we were redoing our stuff and we were deep in thought only one other guy in the room sitting on the back wall leaning his chair up against the wall head back and I noticed him and I wondered who he was because we were supposed to be only the only ones in there and I went back to talk about healing with my my co-worker in Christ and pretty soon that guy he, he put his chair all four on the floor and and he said I bet you're wondering who I am I said I was just wondering who you are. And he said, I'm from arena management. He said, I think I have food poisoning or something. And this was the only quiet place. (laughs) I said, I got to get back to work. And so, I mean, I'm going to be on this stage. I'm going to be on the jumbotron. You can look really dumb up there, you know. And so I went back to talk about healing with my friend. And this, this person over here says, you know, I could use some of the healing that you're talking about. And I, was, I looked at my friend like, go be holy, help the man. You know, like, <laughs> I, I have work to do. And my friend looked at me like this. And so I, I was like, fine. And I went over and I knelt in front of this gentleman because it says so in, in, in Scripture, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I always take the lowest position. And so I, I knelt in front of him and, and I said, tell me what kind of healing you need. Crazy thing. He didn't mention a thing about the food poisoning. He said, I'm a recovering addict. 
My marriage is in shambles and my kids hate me. I think my heart is broken, he said. Can you heal me? I said, well, I can't, but God, the God I know can. Let me pray for you. When the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, he often takes you and puts you in the place of a, a valley of dry bones on purpose. When you realize you are surrounded by people that could use some of the healing you're talking about, this is on purpose. It's not pointless that you're there. The Spirit of the Lord is probably upon you. That is why you are been carried into the valley of dry bones. The call of Jesus Christ upon our lives is to follow Jesus. And when the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, it led him out among dry bones. Not just to put, uh, he didn't just go to the put together people. There is no evidence in scripture that Jesus went to the put together people. He went to the people who were dry bones and scattered and thought to be pointless and purposeless. It says this in Luke chapter 4. When Jesus claims how the Spirit of God is going to work in his life, he says this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners. He has sent me to, to announce recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The call of Jesus Christ is to follow Jesus. And when the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, it led him among dry bones and not just put together people. The Spirit of the Lord led Jesus to walk among beggars who needed food, with those who were helpless and alone and untouched, with young children who needed to be embraced and not pushed away, with prostitutes and tax collectors that needed to know that whatever they did in their past did not make them pointless for their future, with the possessed and the lepers, the outcasts, the ignored, the heartbroken, the heartbroken, the hurting, and the hopeless. If you want to be a part of a movement of what God's Spirit is doing all across the world, you have to get with the dry bones. The, the movement begins when we recognize that we're called there, that this isn't the second calling. It's the initial calling when God comes into your life. It says in, in the next passage, he led me back, or next phrase, he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very, very dry. He led me, and I saw them. If today you find yourself standing in the middle of a valley of dry bones, perhaps it would be helpful to consider whether or not God has led you there so that you can see such things. Perhaps you're standing in the middle of a valley, and, and because, uh, because the valley needs some life, Perhaps you're in that dark place or that difficult place because you actually know something that, that, that is needed in that place. The Spirit of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me, and he led me. I didn't get stuck in the difficult places or in view, view of dead things. I get led there over and over, and I get directed there because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And when the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, I'm not unnecessarily in view of success and put-together stuff all the time, but I do find myself in bones whole lot of my life. Would you consider with me that perhaps God has given you eyes to see the needs of the world around you because the spirit of the Lord might be upon you and the spirit has brought you and led you back and forth among those needs for a reason so that you can see them. Not too long ago, I was walking across the street at North Park University, which is in the city of Chicago. There's a Starbucks, by the mercy of God, right across the street. And I just, he's just so nice to me. And so I was going over with a student, because I always tell the student I buy the first cup of coffee. They have to buy the second, so they don't use me for caffeine. But I, I, I buy the first one. So I was with a new student, and we were walking over there, and I talked with them about Jesus. And, and when I was walking, I noticed there was a man with a shopping cart in front of me. In fact, two gentlemen. We see this a lot in Chicago. Perhaps you even see it here these days. 
people that have uh, found themselves without homes and are living with all their possessions in some sort of container. And, and so he was pushing the shopping cart, and I noticed him. And, and, and as I was walking along, talking about Jesus with, with, this, with this young student, all of a sudden I looked up, and there was only one man pushing the cart. I didn't know where the other one went. And I was halfway into the intersection, and I looked back, and one guy had fallen over and was now laying in the street, head out in a lane of traffic and cars simply pulling around him and nobody stopping. Because who stops for dry bones? It's pointless anyways, right? I mean, he's so disconnected and so without life. I mean, what are you going to do? And and I I was going to Starbucks. I mean, I had some things to take care of. And and, and God, again, he said, Judy, if you notice them, they're yours. If you notice them, they're yours. Don't just look around and say, why isn't somebody else noticing them? It's not about them. If you notice them, they're yours. So I excused myself for a second. I went back over. I helped with the help of his other very intoxicated friend to get him back up on the curb. And I asked him if he needed any help. And he said, I don't want any help. And I said, but I want to help you. And he, he told me I could pray for him. So there, sitting on the curb with this other gentleman, I, I prayed for this gentleman. And I prayed that God would rescue him and complete him and put him back together. And that, that, that everything in his life would find full life again. And I stood him on his feet with his car, and he continued to walk. If you notice them, they are yours. Quit whining that nobody else notices them. Maybe God gave you eyes to see them for a reason. We surf past all this stuff online, wondering why nobody will do anything. But you saw them. They're yours. Perhaps God is letting other people see other issues, and if we all just took care of the things we saw, the whole world might be resurrected. But we spend so much of our time being angry that someone else hasn't seen the thing we see. But God gives us eyes to see. He heals the sight of the blind. It's one of the things he does. And if all of a sudden your heart has been opened to something that everybody else is blind to, count it a miracle. God must be at work. The spirit of the Lord must be upon me at this moment because I see somebody that could use some life. If you notice them, they're yours. So I have prayed all the time, God, let me see anybody who's mine. And blind me to the things that aren't mine where I would get overwhelmed and I would die. But Lord, please don't let me miss one person that I was supposed to be seeing. Uh, The woman at the intersection or a person at the gas pump or a need on the news. Are you willing to see it? I mean, have you ever considered that you're seeing those things because the spirit of the Lord is upon you at that moment and has given you sight and that's why you see Ezekiel 37.3 continues with this. In the midst of this sea of hopelessness, in the face of all these dry bones, the Lord speaks to Ezekiel and says, Son of man, can these bones live? Now looking out at all those dry bones, scattered as far as he can see, Ezekiel says, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. People read these words two different ways. Some people read it uh, the first way, and it's like with this overwhelming sense of defeat. O Lord, I don't know. Maybe you know. I don't see any real possibilities here. Oh, sovereign Lord, you know. A significant amount of people, when they look out of this, they're like, oh, Lord, you know. You know, Lord, I just trust it to you. You know, you know. When we read the prayer this way, we often walk away, shaking our heads. Oh, Lord, you know. But this is not the way Ezekiel prays his prayer. This is not a prayer of defeat. He says, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. 
Uh, rather than being defeated, he's calling on the power he needs to actually be effective in this situation. Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know these things. I'm so little, I don't know, but you're so big and I know that you know. Oh, sovereign Lord, I don't know the how, but I know the who. Because I know the who, there might just be a possibility here. Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And here's where I have just always a touch to learn about this learn about being guided by the Spirit. With all the knowledge I've gained in seminary, with all the books I've read, with all the programs I've started, uh, with, with all the languages I know, I, I don't usually walk away gloomy like, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. But I often jump in without God, thinking I know. I don't say, I don't know, but I say, I know! I know how to fix this. I can do this. God, I know you want to help me. Let me save you the trip. I will just work a little harder. I mean, I can make this. I ought to be able to squeeze a little life out of these bones by Friday. You know, I just want to jump in, and I want to figure out a program to solve the problem. But Ezekiel makes no such assumption. He knew that on his own this was ridiculous. This could not work. He was incapable of making dry bones live. He knew his limitations. Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. You're so big. I'm so little. I don't know the how, but I know the who. I can only do so much, and it's not much. But you could do everything. This is so important, this calling upon God on our li- in our lives. Uh, because lots of times, and I would imagine, really, I believe this for every one of you, because I'm just so optimistic and I know how God works, that God has a calling upon every one of your lives. Nobody uh, is outside of that calling. That God has a calling, not just a relationship, but a calling upon your life. And so often, uh, I think we think the calling uh, about the calling of God on our lives, um, that it's our job all on our own. And so we say, I can't be called. Moses did this. I don't even know how to speak. Well, you ain't doing it by yourself, Moses. I I mean, all I have is a few loaves and fishes. Well, I didn't ask you to feed them that. I'm the God of leftovers. I can multiply stuff. Right? Right? He didn't just ask us to do the calling on ourselves. Right now, God probably has, in resting heavy, God's hand is probably heavy on some of you, that he's calling you in a particular way. And you're like, I don't have those gifts. I don't know how to do this. And so I won't jump in. But when we finally say, God, I can't, but oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know these things. You know who I am, you know the needs, and you know the power of of, of the Spirit in me. Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. When we go from I can't, but God can, when we admit this, this is the point where you go from powerlessness to absolute power reigning in your life. You and I can't bring people from darkness to light. I simply can't do that. I can't bring people back from the dead. I can't do that. I don't know how. I've tried. And it just doesn't really work. I need the power of God and not just the plans of people to accomplish the things of God. Even Jesus says that. I couldn't do this without the power of God, Jesus said. It's the spirit that that was on Jesus that allowed him to be conceived. It came upon him in baptism. It led him into the wilderness. He came out in the power of the spirit. It says after he faced the temptations, he preached under the power of the spirit. He cast demons out by the authority of the spirit. He remained sinless because of the spirit, and he was resurrected by the spirit. Jesus didn't even pretend to be Jesus without the spirit. But he said, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know these things. I'm but a man of flesh, but if I'm, a, if, I, if I'm here and available for your spirit, I bet I could raise people from the dead. So many people are stuck, feeling as though they can't step out into the calling God has upon their life because they feel as though they have no talent for it. But you don't need talent for it, but you need the power for it. I don't have the talent for most of what I do. Oh, man, but Jesus has the power for it through my life.
If you want to breathe life back into the valley of dry bones, you need the supernatural empowering of the spirit. The scripture says this is the energomaton. It's a great word. The Greek word for the energy of God that works through people is energomaton. That's the thing that goes through you to work miracles. The energomaton of God. If you looked at it this way, I don't know if any have any electricians. I rehabbed a house a couple years ago, so I know a little bit about this. A conduit is a tube you put in your, in your uh, walls, behind your walls, often so that you can put uh, electrical things through it. It's usually a lot of times metal, so if it sparks, it doesn't set the whole house on fire. All God is asking is for you to be a conduit for the energomaton of God. That's it. You need to be a good tube. And I think most of us can be good tubes. It's not much more complicated. We think we need arms and legs. No, no, you have to be a tube, a really good empty tube. And God will have his way to bring the energomaton into this world. If we could say as an empty conduit, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know, bam, energomaton could just fly right through us. I believe this. When we get rid of all of our lofty ideas, all of our plans about how it has to work, when we get all of our junk out of the conduit, man, the energomaton can flow well. Now listen to me. One of the reasons I think God is calling us to the valley of dry bones, to stand in these arid places, one of the reasons that comes first is because we're called to be more than what we are, and we're called to do more than what we could do on our own, and this is important. Otherwise, we settle for the plans of people. You need to get into places where you are not capable so that you will get out of the conduit and you will say, unless God does something, it will not work. Church planting is a good place for that. Because if God is not in this, the reality is this thing won't live. It's just the truth. But you've got to get out of the way of all the plans and programs and magic videos and things you could do. And only by the Spirit of God would this be raised from the dead and keep on living. And if you can pull this off, so my friend in Thailand says this, the, the problem with the American church is you can do church without the Spirit of God. You can pull it off and make it look good for a long time without the Spirit of God. This is not how it should be. We need to be good tubes, and we need to get out of the way with all of our plans and let the very Spirit of God have its way in our tube. Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. In and through our own flesh, this mission is absolutely, absolutely impossible. Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. With just our plans and programs, this is absolutely silly. Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Uh, God, we don't know how to do this, but oh, sovereign Lord, all things are possible with you. The calling of God is not relying upon the characteristics of people or the characteristics of a space or a building. The power of God just needs good tubes. I'm telling you, it will be difficult for you to trust God's call upon your life if you think it's about you. You're just a tube. That's all you are. It's not about our abilities, but God's power. I began to, to find this out the year that I spent walking across the United States. As I, I walked, I, I traveled through a lot of different Christian circles. And, you know, God never said, I'll be your God and you'll be my denomination. Uh, he said, uh, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And it would be true that sometimes I would be in a Catholic network for a while, and then sometimes I'd be in a Presbyterian network, then a Church of God in Christ, and then Pentecostal, and the Assembly of God, then Vineyard. You know, depending on who I met, then they would network places for me to sleep and to stay. And, and, and so I really found that out. But in Montana, it was all in Pentecostal churches. All Assembly of God, all Church of God in Christ, all Vineyard churches. And, and, and they, they, be, they really have visions and dreams. I mean, I grew up in the Midwest. I mean, we are, we're really good Bible readers. But, I mean, visions and dreams, like, whoo, a little too crazy for us. I mean, we just like to be a little stoic. I mean, I'm Swedish, you know. <laughs> you know, like, we just don't get too excited about anything. But they would have visions and dreams regularly. Every place I would go, they'd be like, we had a vision about you. I'm like, you did? And they'd be like, yeah. I'm like, was I a great preacher? Was I starting a revival? Was I really funny? They'd be like, no, we saw your feet. 
Next place I would go, they'd be like, we had a vision about you. I'm like, you see a great revival? And was, I, was God using me and doing all that? Oh, all we saw was your feet. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. You, you didn't see how cute or smart or funny I was or how talented or gifted that I, I've got an A in Greek? No. We only saw your feet. And God would whisper to me through them over and over, this has nothing to do with you. You are a tube. God can use any old tube. It's about your connection with me, Judy, as a good tube, cleared of all the stuff in the conduit, and the energomaton will work. Without energomaton, ministry doesn't work. I, I was going to preach once, and I, I travel a fair bit, and sometimes, to be honest with you, I'm really tired. I, I, I'm tired of the little soaps in <laughs> hotel rooms. I, I'm tired of sleeping on fold-out couches sometimes. I, I, I'm tired sometimes, and... And, and so sometimes, you know, I'm just a little gloomy. And, and I got out of bed one morning, and I went to a church service, and I thought, you know, I, I wrote the sermon. I'm ready for the sermon. I didn't really even spend time with Jesus that morning. That's the truth. I was tired. I hit the snooze. Uh, I rested. And I got up. I had a cup of coffee, hoping that would be the energomaton, you know. And, and, and it wasn't. And I got up there, and I began to preach. And something crazy happened. It was like my words came out of my mouth and just fell on the floor like that. It's like my words had no life in them at all. Like little letter H's and little letter D's just lying there dead. And I was like, live, little words, live. But they were just dead. I mean, just a whole vocabulary laying there on the floor in front of the stage. And God said, Judy, it doesn't work without the energomaton. I quit my sermon. I looked really foolish. So excuse me. I have forgotten the critical component of this working. I need five minutes. It was very awkward. Uh, churches like things to run smoothly and with good transitions. The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. And, and so I, I, I left and I went back behind uh, in, in the prayer room, got down on my face and said, God, preaching is foolish anyway, but it's going to be really foolish if you don't get those words off the floor and make them live. I felt like at that moment, God said, okay, fine, but don't do this again. And, and, I, and I realized that without the power of God, it doesn't matter how articulate your words are. It doesn't matter how unarticulate they are. It doesn't matter how smooth your transitions are, how good your programs. Without the power of God, your words will lay there dead. They need the Spirit of God to inhabit them so that they will live. Ask God to lead you to the right dry bones and ask him to help you notice them. And when you find yourself standing in those desperate places, don't be alarmed. Trust that he brought you, you there for a reason because maybe you're a good conduit that day. And God says, oh, here's a tube I can use. Trust that he didn't bring you there to put people back together yourself. You can't do that. I don't even know how the skeleton goes back together. But so that he can use you as transportation for the energomaton, as a conduit for his power. Up the next slide. It says this. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will come and make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 4, God tells Ezekiel, now I want you to start speaking. I want you to be public about this, to speak truth so that they can live. And even though it must have seemed utterly ridiculous to preach to a whole bunch of skeletons, the impossible, the remarkable, the unbelievable begins to happen in front of Ezekiel. A thousand little bones came back together. And then little tendons, like rubber bands attached. And then flesh came over them and skin came over them. It was amazing. But verse 8 says, but there was no breath 
in them. The bodies had been reassembled but not resurrected. And there's a big difference between reassembly and resurrection. Uh, I played a little game when I was walking across the United States called Identify the Roadkill. It it, it kind of distracts you on big, long stretches of road. I would come across a little ear and a little rib and a little foot, and I'd be like, I think that might be a raccoon. And and, and then I would see an antler, and I would see a hind leg, and I'm like, ooh, antelope. And I would play this little game, but here's what I learned about reassembly and resurrection. If I could find all the pieces of that animal that's half on the grate of some truck that pulled by, if I could actually collect all that stuff together and reassemble it, there ain't no way it's going to live, even if I get all the pieces put back together. Reassembly and resurrection are very different things. Ezekiel preaches to the bones, and they are reassembled, but they are still dead. And he's now actually in the middle of something far more grotesque than the skeletons. Oftentimes, we think, at least if we can get people put back together, that's what God is going for. But I'll sit in the middle of dry bones before I want to sit in the valley of corpses any day. It's actually uglier to be put back together but without the spirit of God in you than it is to not be put back together at all. But oftentimes in the church and in ministries and in nonprofits, we think if we can at least feed them, if we can at least get their flesh back together, that's not the goal. Not for the people of God, not for the church of God. Our goal is to see them re-raised back to life and only the spirit of God can raise people back to life. To pull all the Christian pieces together but to have no spirit is an ugly thing. To gather without the spirit of God actually makes us a bunch of corpses. Verse 9 says this, Then God said to Ezekiel, Now prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe breathe into these slain that they might live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. We as God's people can create programs and help put people's lives back together, and it's good. But only the Holy Spirit can actually breathe life back into people and stand on the feet. Resurrection is possible only if God's Spirit enters into the situation. Resurrection is possible only if we go all the way and are bold enough to say, not just you need to be fed, but you need Jesus in order to be back to life. If you want to see God's Spirit moving across this land, you want to be part of a movement, a physical, tangible, living, breathing movement, don't settle for just doing nice Christian things. People that aren't Christian do nice Christian things. You need to introduce them to the one who is the resurrection and the life. You need to go all the way so that they stand up on their feet, a vast army. Let the hand of the Lord be upon you and the spirit of the Lord lead you. Let him set you down in the middle of valleys of dry bones. Don't walk away gloomy, and don't walk away thinking it's all about you doing it. Take a minute, clear out your conduit with the words, Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then be a good conduit so that the resurrection and the life could flow through you. God wants to accomplish things for the dry bones that are before you. One final word about the work of the Spirit. Resurrection is very rarely a quiet and appropriate thing. Resurrection uh, is messy, and it's loud, and it's big, and it's visible. A quiet and appropriate thing is not resurrection, which is often why we are not experiencing the Spirit's power working through us. We don't want to be inappropriate. We don't want people to think we're crazy, and we don't want to be quite this visible in the work of God. And so it's often why we, we feed people, because, you know, that makes us really nice. But we don't say, you want to know who the bread of life is? Jesus Christ. Because that makes it feel awkward. 
Uh, we want to do things and set programs or whatever, but we don't want to pull over and seem crazy on the side of the road. And, and, and it is a difficult thing. Even last week, we have a, a ministry called College Life on our campus, Sunday night worship service. There, there's a young man who's begun to come because he's dating a young woman there, which is often how men come to church. Praise Jesus. Anyway, uh, but, but he's been coming because he likes this, this other co-ed. And, and uh, he's been coming for maybe three or four months. He, he's a captain on one of our athletic teams. He's super cool. I even feel intimidated by him. I'm 41. I don't need to be cool anymore. But, but he kind of intimidates me. Last Sunday night, I was sitting there, and I actually was kneeling because God told me to put my face on the floor, and it's hard to do that when you stand up. And so I was kneeling and had my face to the floor praying, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, uh, I'm not going to give you his name because the story isn't done yet, and I want to give him permission to live it out without my concluding it. Uh, but he said, I would like you to go hug him. He's on the other side, right? I'd like you to go hug him, and I would like you to tell him these words. I was like, oh, Lord. I mean, the song is almost over. It's going to be so awkward. I mean, he's just started coming. He's going to feel so weird about this whole thing. We don't really know each other. I only know his girlfriend. But, man, I was just there. That spirit of God was just saying, Judy. And so I got up, and I went around the back of the room. Now, he was facing the front. He wasn't singing or worshiping because that ain't where he is yet. But he was paying attention to the worship song. And I came up behind him, and I turned him around. He's big because he's a football player. I turned him around, and I hugged him as hard as I could. And he was so awkward. And he was, like, all like this. And, you know, because I'd kind of gotten his arms underneath, you know. And so he kind of wiggled his arms out, and I thought he was trying to get away, but he didn't. He embraced me back. And I just sat there as hard as I could for a long, awkward time, really long, awkward time. And, and, uh, and I was just hugging him. And then, but I knew that God said that wasn't it because that's only partially awkward and lots of people hug other people. You got to tell them what I told you to say. And so I, I, I said, I got something to say to you. And I said, I know this is going to be awkward, but here it is. This is what God told me to tell you right now. That, that you are God's beloved. That he chose you. You didn't choose him. And he has appointed you to bear good fruit, fruit that will last. Tears, right? I said, I got to go back. I got to preach. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I went back around. Oftentimes, we don't want to go that awkward step. I get that. We want to do the thing that everybody else does. But if you want to walk and know the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to go that one more awkward step. And, and this is often the place where, where I, too, can get very civilized. I, I mean, I can start saying, but this is the way Jesus does and doesn't work. Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. About a year ago, it was the beginning of January, a year ago, I woke up and I'd had a dream. Now, I don't know if you believe God speaks in visions and dreams, but you should because it's the primary way he speaks in the text. And I woke up and I'd had a dream. My husband often helps me discern whether these dreams are just, you know, what I ate last night or actually if there's something from God. And so I said, husband, listen to this crazy dream. And, and he said, all right, wife, go ahead and tell me the dream. I said, there was a lake and there was an octopus in the lake. And the octopus was so big, people couldn't tell it was an octopus. And, 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 but I could, and they were swimming around it like it was funny. And so I was yelling at them, octopus, octopus. But they weren't listening to me. And then the octopus ate the man. And Jeff's like, and then what happened? I said, run for your lives! Run for your lives! And people were running towards shore, but one little boy did not run fast enough, and the octopus tentacle grabbed him and was strangling him. So I ran, and I was wrestling with the tentacle, and I couldn't get him free. And finally, when I did, he was already dead. And I was dejected like this. But then I said, no! And I picked him up, and I said, live! 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 But he did not live. And then guess what I did? I blew in his face like this, and he lived. My husband said, 
you might want to work on that Messiah complex you're kind of struggling with. And we had a good laugh. But as the week progressed, I began to learn that this is actually me. I'm good at warning people about the big things, and the church has become good at warning things. People, things that people can't see. We're good at that. Uh, we're, we're good at saying, run away from it, run away from it. We're even beginning to get good at social justice and wrestling with the things that hold people captive. Beginning. But if things look dead and dry, we won't continue to preach life. It's too discouraging. We let them lay there dead. And we definitely don't do those things that seem ridiculous. We want something practical and measurable. And they lived. Helping put lives back together requires that you put yourself out there. You want to see the spirit move across this land in visible, tangible ways? Put yourself out there in visible, tangible ways. Now, I feel like I could give you a money-back guarantee. You would begin to see the spirit work in a way you have not seen the spirit work. You are just a tube. Don't be discouraged. He doesn't expect you to be anything more than a conduit for the energomaton of God. Pull over for people to help. Pray for people who don't know you. Proclaim Jesus in places where Jesus is not generally proclaimed. It might get awkward, but I want to urge you, get your insecurities out of your conduit so that the energomaton could flow through in powerful ways. God speaks to Ezekiel one more time during his vision, and this is what he said, and indeed I believe it's what he says to us today. He says, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, and they say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we're cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Oh, my people, I'm going to open up your graves and bring you up from them, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then my, you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open up your graves and bring you up from them. I'll put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land, and then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. House of Israel, you are not cut off. God, indeed, wants to bless you and use you to bring you up from your own graves, to resurrect you so that you might be uh, the resurrection people that raise other people back to life. Let the Spirit of God lead you. Don't be discouraged if there's lots of dry bones around you. That's the point. He put you there on purpose. So because, because there are people there for you to see that God has selected for you to, to help raise back to life. When you see them, they're yours. Go help them. Be what God wants you to be. Let the energomaton flow through you. And don't be afraid to be awkward. You won't die. That's a lie from the enemy, that you would die if people thought you were dumb. People think I'm dumb all the time, and I'm not dead. <laughs> Living proof that you won't die. I want to close with prayer for you, and I'm going to give you this challenge. If you know that indeed, uh, or believe, that the Spirit of God wants to use you, that you, you just feel like this is a possibility for me, and you want to be a good tube. You don't have to know how it's done. You don't have to have the talent for it. But if you believe God is wanting to use you as a tube, then I'm going to invite you to stand as I pray, because I want to bless you. This is hard. This is hard work because the enemy doesn't like spirit-filled people. He likes good Christian people because they're inactive, and they stay in their chairs, and they don't advance anything. And so, so I want to pray with you so that you can be empowered by the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead 
so that you can continue to be a good tube. So if you know God is a call upon your life, I'm going to invite you to stand where you are as I pray. And I'm going to look you in the face. I'm going to pray with my eyes open. It's not awkward. It works. And, and, and I'm going to pray for you uh, that God would use you and the energumaton of God, the spirit of God would flow through you to do miracles in this valley of dry bones. So Lord God, I just come to you this morning. Just ask, Lord, that you would do new work here. That you would teach us what it is to be awkward for the sake of the kingdom. That we would not be afraid to, to, to stand up and say, make me a tube, Lord, for your energy and for your energumaton. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you might anoint them with the power of the Spirit, that your hand might be upon them, that you would bring them intentionally to people that are captive, people that are blind, people that are poor and outcast and untouched, people that need to be raised from the dead. Lord, I pray that you would empower my brothers and sisters, that they would not be afraid. They're just feet and tubes, and you can use them. I pray, Lord, that this would be a church that raises people back to life. Lord, that we would not settle for reassembly, but Lord, that we would let them be resurrected because of the power of your word. Lord, I pray that there would be a movement, that your spirit would come across this place in a visible, tangible way, that people would be able to see in our lives, man, what is going on? And you can say, I was raised from the dead. I pray, Lord, for not one bit of death to remain in this room. I just ask it for it to be gone in Jesus' name, that these would be life people delivering life to this valley of dry bones. Lord, I pray for a calling upon their life, not just for a relationship with you, but Lord, for an anointing from you to raise people up from their very graves. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.